This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, we're back from vacation. Happy, happy Tuesday, everybody. I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 8th, episode 1251. This episode is brought to you by the American Endurance Ride Conference. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge, you're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love, but don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. We all hope you had a terrific long weekend. And, of course, we're back. It is the it is the second Tuesday of the month, which means Karen is here to do the endurance episode. Howdy, Karen. Good morning, and it wasn't long enough. No. <laughs> you know, we really enjoyed this weekend. We had fun. We just, uh, you know, just hung around and did a lot of stuff around the farm. And then this morning came, and it was like, oh. <laughs> it was one of those mornings. <laughs> And I know for you, because you have to get up really early on your first day back just to talk to us. <laughs> I know it. Five in the morning, I got to get up or sooner now so that, I can be ready by six. See, now that changes for Jamie here in a little bit because in in uh, Arizona, they don't change their clocks. So when everybody else changes their clocks, then she's only two hours off of us. You don't wow. have that luxury. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be the same oh, well. regardless. It's endurance ride practice. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Endurance ride practice. Without having to get the horse ready and packing all the crap. That too, yes. I mean, so it, it is so, easier. All you got to do is, is get that. your coffee, right? So Exactly. You're good exactly. to go. <laughs> we have a lot going on on today's endurance episode, and Jennifer is here to tell us what is coming up. On today's endurance episode with Karen Chatton, brought to you by the American Endurance Ride Conference, once we have galloped through Karen's most recent ride adventures, we'll have a visit with Heather Russell, who just completed for the second time the world's toughest horse race. That would be the Mongol Derby. And then next up, we'll get an update on the goings-on at the AERC from Lisa Schneider and crossing the finish line at a strong trot. Dr. Langding Fielding tells us about his this year's research project that he did at Tevis. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Very good. Thank you, Jennifer. Well, now, what have you been up to over the past month since we talked last? There wasn't a Tevis. We already covered that. So, But I know we that did. that doesn't mean you didn't ride. We, well, I attempted to ride, but I didn't make it very far. Okay. I, did, I did a local <laughs> ride, and I got to the first vet check and with Bo. And because uh, he was such a little 
um, I'll just use the term knothead. <laughs> Jerk. There's there's a, there's plenty of other terms I could have used. He was being all Arab uh, that day. He was, he was definitely not behaving very nicely. Uh, it, I couldn't give him an inch of rain or he would try to put his head down and buck. He was very, very ornery. Did he have a problem? And, and, well, he ended up with a problem because I was pulling on him so tight and he was so bunched up and traveling so incorrectly. He ended up making himself very sore. So when I did get to that first vet check at 16 or 18 miles or whatever it was, he was off on his right front. So we pulled and, you know, as it turned out, he was fine. Of course, by the time he got home, he was trotting out sound. Oh, sure, because he really you didn't know. want to go past 15 miles is the real reason. Well, <laughs> you know, that's just the the thing with these horses. Sometimes, you know, it's all hindsight. It's like I totally should have just got off and walked on foot and started in the back and just calmly got him going so that he wasn't uh, just a total he so was like was a horse so on crap was he having something cuz it was it was 3 weeks after doing Tevis oh. and he was feeling really really good yeah. and he just, just it was too much for his poor little wee brain <laughs> what you didn't want to buck for 50 miles that wasn't much fun. No, I didn't want to buck even for <laughs> for one. <laughs> Isn't that what everybody looks forward to? It's a nice, relaxing day. Oh, oh my gosh! I, he, you know, I've I've been having to wear my brace on my elbow for because I've got tennis elbow ever since because <laughs> he was pulling so much. You know, he just was a little butthead. You know, and then the ironic part is we met this family that was so nice. They came to the Carson Valley Days Parade and they saw our group, our American Endurance Ride Conference group, were, were practicing, you know, for the Rose Parade. And we ended up talking. Is Bo your horse for the Rose Parade, by the way? No. Oh, good. <laughs> no, I have another friend riding him. Oh, great. Parade. Yeah, that would be terrific. If he decides <laughs> to do be... all five miles of the Rose Parade in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Oh, she may, hopefully we'll still be friends afterwards. <laughs> so, um, but she's an eventer. She'll have no Oh, problem. yeah. She'll jump the crowd. It'll be fine. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. She'll have no trouble at all. Now, I'm writing Chief, who actually can be even worse. <laughs> but they'll be, they'll be fine. The parade's a whole different thing. They, they're not, you know... They're going to know they're not competing. A little ace, you'll be fine. <laughs> I know. So, so, so we met this family, and they've got these two young daughters, which are really great. And one of the daughters is 10 years old, and she wants to do endurance. So I had her come out, and she's been riding Bo. And he, Arabs are so great with kids, and he just does wonderful with her. And I've had her out on a, a few days. I've taken her as far as 19 miles, uh, 15 miles. We've done 11 miles. And the kid is doing great. The horse is doing great. And then I take him on a ride and he just turns maybe into... Maybe he's trying to tell you something. He, maybe he just likes the kid better. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's much easier with the child than you. Probably <laughs> because, yeah, he knows she's not going to take him on Tevis. <laughs> For one thing. <laughs> you know, Jennifer had a good idea. You live in Colorado. Why don't you just ride Bo to the parade and then you're guaranteed he'll be tired by the time Nevada. you get there. Yeah. Nevada. 
Oh, yeah, but, you live in Nevada, yes. yep. But if no. you ride him but to the parade, still... that's only like 600 miles. You should be fine. Yeah. Yeah, by the exactly. time you get there. I'll, I'll ride one and pony the other, and we'll switch back and forth. There you go. <laughs> so many hours. <laughs> there you go. You're guaranteed to be on TV that way. Uh, they'll they'll that, make a big deal be. out of it. Yeah. That could be. So so this new new kid, you know, that wants to do this, you know, she wanted to do an intro ride, but I've already taken her as far as 19 miles. So I'm thinking, you know, by the time she goes out for a couple more rides, she'll be ready to start out on a 25 or a 50. Well, I she's assume not... she'd ridden before, just not endurance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's been riding for about three years and and doing horse camps and and lesson riding lessons and you know riding English. So she's a very good rider already, and and uh, and and does great job. And and Bo just seems to really really like her and. Of course, if I, you know, she's riding along with me and I'm on chief. So Bo just sort of follows along and does his thing. And he's a very uncomplicated horse. It's just that, you know, he likes to go. And and we don't always agree on um, how fast we need to be going. (laughs) (laughs) She likes to go faster than you? No, no, the horse does. Oh, okay. <laughs> the horse does. <laughs> now, was this your first pull up in uh, like a long time, wasn't it? With it Bo? was. I think I've done something like 10,000 miles without a pull in the last five years. Wow. So, but you know, we got it over with. <laughs> <laughs> now it's done. We can go another five years. <laughs> well, well, hopefully so, you know, and at least it wasn't anything serious. So but there was nothing going on with his saddle, his back, his. Right. All that's good. There was no swelling. His legs are all good. Everything's he didn't fine. Have a, like a burr in his saddle pad like the old days, you know. Uh, no, no, it was no. it's never that simple. No, it's know? never that but simple. No, no, just the horses yeah. <laughs> just was in a mood. You didn't give but, him his coffee, he had didn't have enough cream and that was it. Oh gosh. Or he had too much coffee, coffee. maybe. <laughs> you know, gosh. Just, but those things happen. Things go wrong, and and we learn from them. And and uh, the, you, you know, it, it's not something you expect to happen, especially with this horse. He's done. You yeah, know, I mean, he's not like for, he's not a campaigner. He's been campaigning for a long time, right? Yeah. And he just, you know, kind of cruises right through Tevis like it's no big deal, <laughs> <laughs> and then he can't go sixteen miles. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Maybe it's too like, close to Tevis. He was just like rebelling. It was like yeah. Three weeks later, you never yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but we had taken him out um, in the week or two before the, this Tahoe Rim ride. He had been out like three times and and been out for hours and trotted and was doing great. In fact, with the junior, we were practicing our vet checks i was teaching her how to trot a horse out for a vet check out and back and he looked great there was definitely not anything that we could see that was brewing it, but obviously something bothered him you know I, I i just think part of it was you know you know obviously it was writer error you know i was letting him well, I was trying to keep him from um, evicting me. <laughs> was the, the main thing. Well, you would have been walking for sure then. <laughs> yes, uh, probably because he would have been gone. Oh, oh. And here's here's the best part about getting pulled on that ride. You're at the top of the Tahoe Rim Trail, so they didn't. They could have trailered me out, but it's like 
straight downhill. It's like taking one of those, um, you know, uh, theme park rides where you're going straight down. (laughs) So they were like, well, you can lead him out because you can walk him because he's, you know, sound enough at a walk and he's not that sore. And they weren't too, you know, worried about him having anything that was really wrong. So I had to walk five miles down a mountain (laughs) to get out. Yes. Isn't there like, uh, don't they usually have trailers like, at vet checks for when horses are well, lame? They did, but he was apparently he wasn't not lame, lame enough. He wasn't lame enough. <laughs> you can't, you can't continue, but uh, you get to walk him five miles. That's, so yeah. yes, pretty much. So that pretty much made our ride like a limited distance ride that day. <laughs> I still had to do five more miles on foot, and then I got to the trailer and then i had to trailer all the way around and then back up to camp so (laughs) it was an all-day event it was it was um i could have probably walked him back to camp on the trail faster but who knows it was it was kind of kind of funny but not really (laughs) you you mentioned also and i was just uh, i was just looking at that page that uh you the rose parade is coming up much quicker than you think and, uh, you know, that January 1st will be here in no time. It is coming up really fast. And we have a new public I, Facebook I was on page. that. That is so cute to picture at the top with all you guys. That's neat. Oh, good. Yeah. And our group, some of our group did a parade in Nor- Norco, California. Oh, yeah. Yesterday. They had their horse parade here on Labor Day, right? They did. Yeah. So uh, it, if people want to find it on Facebook, just go look for American Endurance Ride Conference. 2016 Tournament of Roses Parade Riders. And you should be able to find it that way and you can click like or whatever and then follow us and keep up to date on the the practice parades that we're doing and the fundraisers and other things like that. Which Yeah, it's not cheap. <clears throat> I noticed that one of the ladies, and we've had them on many times the, from the Victorian Roses, uh, which is a group out of Southern California, and uh, they bring carriages and ridden horses, both. And they've been a parade for years. And uh, she said it ran about $8,500, not including the tack and the costumes, just to go to that parade. Right. So, yeah, so it's not cheap to go. And you guys are, at least you're, most of you are on the West Coast. So you don't have you right. know, bringing horses in, I don't think, from the East Coast. No, we're all uh, mainly California and Nevada, but it also isn't including the costs of doing the practice parades and stuff like that either. Right, that's right. Now you were looking for trailers uh, the last time. Did 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 you have any luck there? I think we're mostly set. We probably could use another one if if there's anybody listening that knows of someone that that is in Southern California that could lend out a, a large trailer that could fit in. Four, five, or six horses. Um, so you need just, one more, is what it's coming down to. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And and just get in touch with me, or go to that Facebook page and send us a message or a comment. Okay. And and because uh, um, every little bit helps, and and I know we've got a lot of support behind us, and it's growing, and and we're all really, really looking forward to getting to ride in the Rose Parade. I mean, how cool is that? That is really cool. That's really it is. Cool. I can't wait to see you in the Rose Parade. I know. We'll be cheering you on. All of us will yes. be out here cheering you on. 
and our horses will be like, "What's this?" We're and just you'll be the one group they don't show. That's what always happens when we know somebody <laughs> in the parade. It's it's the one group that goes at commercial, and then they never show it. That's, no, I think I think they'll show us because. Um, yeah, I, I think, think they, I think they usually show try us. and show the horse groups. So sure. Well, uh, we fit their theme so perfectly. You know, find your adventure. And I think which somebody is, wrote to me is, after we talked the last time and said, "Well, RFD," because I was complaining that the that they don't usually when it's on HGTV or one of them, they don't know anything about the horses. They just read what's written and they have no idea. Exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. and somebody wrote and said RFD does coverage too, but unfortunately, we don't get RFD. Why would we? We live in the horse capital of the United States, so Florida. <laughs> we don't get any of the horse stations. Here. I don't get it either. Yeah, I don't get it either. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. You know, we've never gotten it any place we've lived, and we've lived in very horsey places. Huh. So, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we can, uh, we'll definitely uh, keep an eye on that and talk to you more about that as we go down the line. And then, of course, December will be our last show before you guys head out. I know. It's so exciting. So that should be good. Um, was there any th- other news that we needed to cover before we headed into the tip? Well, th- I'm still on the fence about whether or not to go ahead with the wa- the Riding Dead endurance ride on October 31st on Halloween. I've gotten in the mid twenties for number of writers. Every time I get one can one enter one new entry, I get like two cancels and (laughs) yeah. So it's, it's very frustrating that I'm not sure right now I'm going to get enough entries to pay for all the permit costs and other things. So, and today is the deadline. So if anybody's listening right now or this morning, they need to let me know right away if they're planning on coming because by the end of today, I'm going to have to make a decision whether or not to go through and and risk doing the ride and because um, it all comes out of my pocket if uh, if I don't get enough entries to pay for the permits and the vets and all the expenses. So. Okay. So, so contact you today. Yes, today. All right. Good. Yes. And you can find what's the easiest way to, for them to contact you about that? Um, boy, just uh, Karen at radionetwork.com. That that's fine. Okay. Yes, that that's fine. Or a Facebook message. Yep. Or just Karen, a Facebook just message. Karen at horseradionetwork.com or Facebook. Very good. Yes. And Thank I see you. the FEI is still trying to clean up the mess. Uh, over in uh, over with the UAE, uh, I know. Uh, just phantom rides are showing up on databases. People who never rode in any races. Isn't that amazing? That and, that many people are involved. I mean, that's like this big scandal. You, they could almost make a reality TV they show. They really over, could. And now they've that. suspended the veterinarian who was over there. You know, wow. because he was cheating, and just the, and everybody over there was cheating. Pretty much, it sounds but, like. Well, thirty horses were disqualified. So thirty horses. So. Well, 15 of them were fake. They never even existed. Existed. They just reported it that way. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to report that these horses were there. Oh, God. Was that all to get points, I I assume? You know? I... Well, to get qualified so they yeah. could do the bigger, bigger races. races. So they don't have to do the little races but, to get to the big races. You know, but it said they had, what, 13 race rides were staged since 2012. That it never happened. That never happened. <laughs> <laughs> 
didn't they reinstate them too? They were suspended for a while, the UAE, but then they reinstated them, didn't they? They did. I mean, you know, we all have rides where we wish never happened. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but, talk about politics. But these and... really never happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds funny. I don't know. That whole thing's a mess, and obviously nothing we're going to solve here. So I know. Uh, so let's go on to other things. Let's talk okay. about uh, your endurance tip of the month. And this month, we're talking about how to get a horse to accept a syringe. And now we're talking about the one in the mouth, not in the neck, right? Right. Okay. Right. For giving electrolytes or um, medications or a wormer. Okay. So, you know, that's something that, you know, if you haven't done it or your horse isn't used to being syringed, it's always good to get your horse used to being able to do it so that they will accept it in case you, you know, you need to be able to give them something, you know, even if it's just a wormer every, you know, a, so often or medications, that kind of thing. So I was just going to talk a little bit about how to get your horse accepting of a syringe. And First of all, you would start with an empty syringe and you fill it with just plain old applesauce. And that way your horse is going to get used to seeing the syringe as something that they kind of like and it, it and not something that's filled with some sort of nasty tasting stuff that that turns them off and and uh so you fill a syringe with applesauce and then you are going to dis- desensitize your horse to the syringe by rubbing it all over their neck and face and scratching them and just basically getting them used to accepting that the syringe is near them and it's not something to be afraid of. It helps if you have a mounting block or something to stand on in case your horse is trying to be a giraffe like I've had horses do to me and being vertically challenged um, that, that can make it even more difficult. So if you have something to stand on, a mounting block works, you know, really good. So then start working on advancing and retreating as you get close to your horse's lips and just keep working on it slowly, bringing the syringe close to your horse's lips and then bringing it away so that they get used to it. And it might take more than one session or even more than a few for horses that are exceptionally wary of a syringe coming close to them. Now you're going to hold your horse's head in one hand while holding, you know, put your hand over the muzzle and then gently slide the syringe in um, between the lips. You're going to want to get the syringe towards the back of the tongue and then um, squeeze it and put the, the syringe, you know, empty it out into the horse's mouth and then let go. Sometimes it might help. To start with, if you dip the end of the syringe in molasses or honey, because the horses might like that a little bit better, and you just need to keep working on it, stay calm, you know, don't make a big deal about it, don't get angry or upset if your horse is difficult and and pulls back or tosses his head or doesn't seem to like it. You just have to calmly and patiently keep working on him, you know, doing the, the um, you know, um, experience exposing the syringe closer and closer to the horse's mouth and then retreating so that they're learning that it's not going to hurt them and everything's okay. And uh, if you do that a few times with applesauce in it, usually the horses learn, they see you coming with the syringe and they actually like it. 
so it's just uh, one of those things where you just have to stay patient and keep working on it calmly. And eventually you'll be able to get your horse used to it. And then, you know, when you do need to syringe something like electrolytes or a wormer or whatever, your horse will be accepting and it won't end up who knows where, everywhere except in your horse. <laughs> right. Yes. Which we've all had happen. We have. Yes. <laughs> and what happens yes. if your horse doesn't like applesauce? Gosh, I'm not really yeah, sure. Yeah, we have, a, we, we like have a couple of horses. Do you have that molasses? Yeah, molasses. Yeah, would molasses. Be good. Yeah. And then they'll be they'll be like Bo, a horse up. on crack. <laughs> horse on crack. Basically, it's just, that's what that's what it is. You know, we our horses just don't like apples. I mean, it's the strangest thing. They just don't like apples, and I, you know, we we haven't had horses before that really didn't like apples. Wow. I mean, we it took us a long time to get them to eat carrots. They wouldn't eat carrots either. Uh-huh. But yet wow. anything sugary, especially my pony, if it's sugary, if it, you know, any kind of horse treat that uh, has molasses or whatever in it, he will bite uh-huh. your hand off for that. But <laughs> not anything that's good for him. Takes after his dad that way, I think. <laughs> wow. But yeah, molasses would probably work for any horse, actually. Mm-hmm. It's an expensive way to treat. <laughs> that would be, yeah. yes, yes. Plain old applesauce will work. Because, you know, if you're giving electrolytes, that's what a lot of people use right. to, to mix it in. So it's a good yeah. good base. Yeah. All right, very good. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Karen. And next we have coming up our product of the month from a Distance Depot. So we're going to, what did you guys, uh, uh, let me see here. Let me get this ready. You recorded this a little bit earlier. On Friday. Yep, because she couldn't make it today. So uh, let's take a listen. Good morning, Kristen. Thank you for joining us again. Hi, Karen. It's great to be here. Well, today we're going to talk about the gift items that the Distance Depot carries. Of course, all of their items could be considered gifts, but we're going to, specifically mentioned jewelry and the um, perfume that you carry. Let's start with the jewelry. Tell us about your jewelry items. Okay. Well, we have a full line of Kelly Hurd horseshoe jewelry. So we have, you know, all different types of necklaces. Um, His jewelry is um, made in the USA, um, and he is an equine jewelry uh, designer. So his pieces are very nice. Um, They're... They're made with a heavy rhodium finish, um, which will um, prevent the the jewelry from tarnishing. And most of them have bling bling rhinestones, so they're they're really fun pieces. One of his um, really snazzy pieces is the graduated horseshoe necklace, and it starts out with a large one in the center and goes, you know, gradually smaller on both sides. It's a pretty sharp piece. Um, whenever I wear it, folks are always like, "Wow!" So. That's a, a really nice gift. And then, of course, there are more delicate and, and um, you know, dangly earrings and, and delicate necklaces as well. But they're really fun um, rhinestone jewelry. Right, I like the one that the hand-stamped stainless steel that says, Live, Love, Ride. Yes, uh, those, those are made by Melody Blittersdorf. Um, she calls her jewelry line. Um, she she uh, is a de- designer of jewelry. For those of you oh, cool. who don't know Melody, she's a she's a an endurance rider as well and does quite well in the Northeast. Um, but anyway, she yeah her jewelry is all hand stamped. Um, she calls it Anvil Addict, 
Um, and, and so she's doing all these pieces herself, and they're really beautiful. Her earrings are so comfortable to wear. Um, she has some fun horse uh, horseshoe nail earrings and also um, some hand-stamped uh, um, horseshoe um, bar earrings that are really, really fun, too. Wow, great stuff to keep in mind if someone has a birthday or anniversary coming up or the holidays are coming up. Um, great items for gifts. Um, tell us about the Nuzzle perfume that you have. The uh, Nuzzle perfume has been out for a really long time. We've carried this perfume. One of the nice things that we like about it is that um, proceeds, part of the proceeds do go to the Habitat for Horses, so that's always nice. But it's a, it's a real light, um, fruity um, perfume that, uh, um, as I think Jennifer said earlier, it smells smells much better than than you know us girls when we're <laughs> out there mucking the stalls. But it really is. It's a it's a real pretty perfume. And what items do you have that are new this month? We have a new um, ice clip and ice standing for in case of emergency. And you can clip this piece of nylon. Um, onto your saddle or your bridle or your halter for your horse, and it has a place velcroed on to the little piece of nylon where you can enter, um, of course, you know, right down with a black and indelible marker, um, just, uh, you know, your, ho- your phone number or your horse's name or your name so that in case you were to become separated or the horse got loose, um, someone that found him could certainly identify him and get in touch with you. Yes, that's a handy thing to have. I actually received one earlier this year as a completion award on a ride. What a great award. Yeah, that's a great award. Great. Well, if somebody is interested in any of these items, how would they uh, find you? They can call us toll-free, 866-863-2349, or check us out on thedistancedepot.com. Well, thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Karen. Well, we appreciate uh, Distant Depot continued support of the Endurance Show here on the Horse Radio Network. Well, we have our next guest coming up, and I wanted to mention before we get to her that, uh, and, and I'm just trying to take a look at this now, while we're talking, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Mongol Derby coming up here, and I did want to mention that we have the winner of this year's Mongol Derby coming up on the show next week. So we'll have uh, the winner on Horses in the Morning next week. All right, so why don't we introduce uh, somebody else who knows uh, quite a bit about the Mongol Derby. That's right. Uh, We have Heather Russell. She uh, Competed in the Mongol Derby last year and finished 10th. And we have this really cool photo of her coming across the finish line. And she's got, it sounds like some really exciting uh, stories to tell us about that. And she's looking forward to going back again in uh, 2016. Uh, Welcome, Heather. Are you here with us? Yes. Hi. Good morning. How are you doing? Oh, good morning. Doing pretty good. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, we're looking forward to hearing about some of your stories about your your ride that you did last year. So first of all, tell us about the Mongol Derby for the, the listeners that don't know what it is. Oh, absolutely. The Mongol Derby covers a thousand kilometers and you get a semi-wild horse every 40 kilometers. <laughs> A so, different semi-wild uh, horse, right? They're nice and fresh. <laughs> a different semi-wild horse every 40 kilometers. <laughs> Yes, they're they're fun, to put it mildly. 
<laughs> wait, wait, I always wanted to know, because in every picture, it looks like you're just at a dead bolt the whole time. <laughs> That's what it looks like. It looks it, like you're just bolting the entire thousand miles. Basic, uh, some of the horses actually do that. I did have a few that uh, bolted almost the entire 40 kilometers. It was unbelievable. <laughs> but they're not bolting out of fear. This is what they do for fun. Yeah. So... <laughs> and if you're not tough enough to slow them down well they're going to take advantage of you (laughs) off you go and you ride it with a helmet don't you yeah you're required to ride in a helmet so oh which is a good rule oh good 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 okay so tell us let's start with your adventure last year when you went and did this just give us a little bit about a description of of how it went for you. Oh, it was the third day is probably the biggest part of it. I was in the front runner group and I really entered this race to win it. And so when the third day happened, I was just crushed. Um, On the very first length, I separated from a group I was riding with they, we had a difference of opinion of the direction we should go. They wanted to go to the mountain range and I wanted to go up a valley. And so I separated and that ended up being my doom because there were a couple of motorcyclists there that were robbing people mm. as they were coming through the valley. And so they attacked me and um, I was able to get out, but it, it took me eight hours to get mm-hmm. through that whole situation and so I came into the next station just completely shattered. I, I, I felt like I'd had a brush with death, and I really didn't even know if I wanted to finish the derby at that point. <laughs> I wow. was so scared. Yeah. I didn't want to be it. alone. Wow. Yeah, it was, it, but it was a rare thing to happen. I, the, the Mongol people, for the most part, are amazing people. They'll open up their doors to you. Uh, you can be out on the step between gears and ask anybody for some water, and they they're happy to help you out. Just amazing people. And I don't so imagine I ran into where, a very rare bunch. Yeah, I was going to say I don't imagine where you were. There's a lot of police around either. So I mean, you're not going to get a lot of help. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And actually, it takes a few hours for a helicopter to come out there too. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, so you don't want to get injured either. If you do, wow. I mean, just hang tight. There's not much you can do. So speaking of being out there, how long did it take you just to get to the start of this from Texas? Oh, uh, the airplane flight? Is that what you're talking about? How long? Yes, the whole travel and trip. Uh, I think it was an 18-hour flight from Houston, Texas to Mongolia. It's on the other side of the planet. Uh And to save money, I went economy. Oh, no, that was probably worse than the ride. After the derby... Oh, it was awful. Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> after the derby, I had I'd blown my knee out. Plus, uh, you, your joints, and I'm not young anymore. I was one of the older derbyists, and my joints felt like somebody had taken a jackhammer to them. And so I'm riding home on the economy flight, and that was, that was probably much worse. <laughs> Trying to find a comfortable position. I was like, can I just lay down in the aisle? Can, all right, now you brought it up. Can I ask how old you, you were when you rode? 35. 35. And you were one of the oldest ones there? <laughs> um, 
Well, I was when I signed up. There was, I think, a lady turned 60. Oh. So I was, I definitely wasn't the oldest, but I was, uh-huh. most, most of them are in the, their 20s. What made oh, wow. you? I assume race. you're a rider. So were you an eventer? A lot, I know a lot of the competitors are eventers or endurance riders. Were you either? Yes, I'm an endurance rider. Okay, so you went in knowing what what distance riding was all about. You at least had you you had a better idea than some of them do that enter this race. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, so now, what? Wh- how many miles would you do in a day on a pony? Oh, for the Mongol Derby. Yep, yep. You you try to aim for three three lengths, which is um, about seventy five miles. So you would At actually least. change horses three times in a day? Yeah. Oh, well, wow. that's your least. Uh, you try to do four. And wow. Uh, that's the like record a pony was broken this last year of five. Wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's the horses that make it possible. They're incredible. We, we nicknamed them Step Rockets because <laughs> we're out there on the step and you're on a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not shot, I assume. They're just barefoot, I would think. Yeah, they're, they're barefoot. Yeah. They have very, very tough feet. These horses live in on rocks and things, and it's amazing what they can run over. And my horses here, I mean, they step on a little rock, and they got their foot up in the air like, fix it, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a different environment completely out there. How about your well, saddle? Do you bring your own, or do you use theirs? You use theirs. It's a, a Franco Sea saddle from South Africa. Okay. And they're an extremely light. So it's the same saddle that you for okay. these Mongolian horses because they have okay. they have a, a really tight withers. So they're, they're made especially for them. Did you find the saddle comfortable? No, absolutely not. <laughs> they're made for the comfort of the horse, not you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Tell us about the food that you ate. What what kind of food did you get to eat? Oh, well, we, we got to a point where we stopped asking what we were eating. We <laughs> ate everything. Um, there was what one dish in particular we, we started calling Hot Pockets. And it, <laughs> we loved them. They were fried in animal fat. And then I made the mistake of asking what was in them. And the lady showed me. And it's the intestines of an animal, uh, what they're putting in our hot pocket. Well, it's so high in I protein. regretted asking. It's high in protein. Oh, went, oh yeah. And it, <laughs> you're so hungry. You, Even though you know what you're eating, you're eating gophers, you're eating horse meat, you're eating dog meat. Um, if they catch a mouse or a rat, you eat that. I uh, mean, they're not picky about what they throw in their pot. Uh, um, Heather. No vegetables, no fruit. <laughs> Heather, we've talked to the winners for the last, like, seven years of the Mongol Derby. And every one of them said every... Every year, and I'm, I think this happened year year or two, um, every year there's a number of the riders that just get sick from the food. I mean sick. Did you have that? Did- oh, absolutely. Yeah. Gut-wrenchingly sick. Well, I mm-hmm. arrived, I was warned by previous riders that about this. <laughs> and so I got there four days early, and I just started eating everything under the sun when I got oh. there. And it helped. I did get sick, but by the time the derby started, my gut had adjusted. Oh, and... so, so you intentionally got yourself sick before the race started. That was pretty smart, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> That's pretty good, Heather. <laughs> yeah. 
because (laughs) these writers do get sick and they tough through it. And I didn't want to be one that had to tough through it. So I just (laughs) got there early. I can't imagine having to ride that distance of being sick all the time. Oh. And and what oh, were you... yeah. Oh, and it's the diarrhea, cramping pain that's oh, probably the worst. Good. That's always fun when that... you're riding. Yeah, at a boat. Yeah, and it gets nause- nauseating. I mean, I I would ride with people that were throwing up over the side of the saddle, <laughs> and you just feel for them. And like, why, oh, why exactly just... are you going back? Why exactly is that, Heather? <laughs> you're making it sound so attractive. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to get sick again. This is going to be so fun. <laughs> oh, it's Mongolian. She's an endurance writer. And I never thought I'd want to do this again. But it was it was one of the best experiences of my life. No cell phones, no technology. No, I, I was able to leave all the stress of home uh, just back here in Texas. And I was able to ride this race. And that's all you did. You wake up in the morning, you get on a horse. And you don't get off until you go to bed at night, and then you do it again, and you do it again. Well, it was a dream come true, really. That, that does bring a, a lot good, of fun. A good question. You know, your Verizon cell service isn't very good on the Mongolian steppes, <laughs> I assume. Um, no, uh, so. you. If you're lucky, especially if you're you're on one of the mountain peaks, you'll get a little bit of service. Now, what, but so the, what, what the way hap- you get help is yeah. you hit your spot tracker. Okay. Okay. And do you get, can you call for help with that? Uh, well, you push a button okay. and it light and it turns red and, and hopefully they're getting it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're really good and they have people at every station. So even if you're the furthest away, you're like mid station, you're still just 20 kilometers out. So that's not really that far for them to come and trek in and find you. Okay. So the trick is once you hit your spot tracker, don't start moving. You need to stay put so they can come Uh and get you. That makes sense. Right. So what was it like at night? Tell us about the freezing. Absolutely freezing, especially for a Texas girl. Oh, (laughs) I was not prepared for the call. (laughs) And it's, if you ran during the day and hit some rain patches, your mm-hmm. clothes are wet, which makes the cold at night even even worse. It always dropped below freezing at night. We were uh, to to water the horses. We're breaking ice off the wa- the buckets, and wow. then the days would hit over a hundred degrees. So you'd go from drastic differences. You'd, you'd get people that could go hypothermic at night, and then get heat stroke during the day. It's it made packing for this adventure very difficult, especially since you're only allowed 11 pounds of, pa- of luggage. Oh, my gosh. And that includes your hydration pack and the bag that you use. So uh-huh. you get really, you have to micromanage everything you put in your bag. Yeah, you're not changing so. clothes too often, I <laughs> No, you, you smell absolutely beautiful by the time you get to finish life. All right. Oh, I, my goodness. I married into this. I'm a horse husband, so I have to ask you a question. I don't know if you're married or not or have a significant other. Are you or do you? Yes, I have an amazing tolerant husband and two children. What did so, they think about this, and what does he think about you going back? You know, on a serious note, what's he think about you going back? I He's more terrified this time, me going back for 20 years. Because he knows. He robbed by... Per- 
pirates. I mean, yes, I guess he would be. Yeah, well, I was very careful to dull that down as much as possible, <laughs> but <laughs> he, he's still very worried. He doesn't want me uh, traveling alone, but it's kind of, even if you try to travel with somebody in this race, the horses don't always make it possible. Hmm. Uh-huh. Some, some horses want to become secretariat and others want to <laughs> go as slow as they possibly can. <laughs> were there, were there some so, of the horses you, you probably rode 40 horses during the whole time. Were there some of the horses that you just could not wait to drop them off at the next checkpoint? I had one and I, I named this the sweetheart Chucky. After the, you know, that little doll. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He, I, I swear this adorable little horse was trying to kill me. And I was so happy to reach. He's the one that blew out my knee, busted up my jaw. I mean, oh, no. I, um, by the time I got to the next horse station, I was like, please take this horse. And he was probably one of the best broke horses that I rode to. He was one that knew every trick in the book and how to use it. Uh-huh. I, he was. He was a smart little guy, <laughs> and he loved to butt, and that was my almost my downfall several times. He put on a very impressive rodeo at least twice. <laughs> and I'm looking at the bridles. They look like they're just rope bridles with maybe a snaffle bit in it. They're, yeah, it's a strange snaffle, which gives you no control at all. They're, it's a very gentle bit, at least, but you... you there's no shank. You can't really get a leverage on these horses' faces. And they have such a short neck to go with the <laughs> tiny little snaffle bit. You don't have a whole lot of control. This picture I'm looking at, it you're crossing the finish to. line, almost looks like the bit's way too big for the horse in this picture. I don't know. It's hard to tell. They, they, that's why I said it was a, it's a strange snaffle. You have the break in the middle, and then it comes out to the edges of the horse's mouth, which is about four and a half inches. And then the bit makes a bend for yeah. about an inch and a half before it links to the bridle. So it's a, I've never seen bits like it. I, all of us at the starting line, we're, we're looking at the bits like, what in the world? Obviously, they're not <laughs> made they, for stopping the exact your horse. Same bit. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. You, well, the Mongolians don't teach their horses to stop. I, it's not something they do. Yeah, so why would you do that? They look at us really weird. They're like, why do you want to stop? Yeah, we got a long way to go. We got to keep going. Wow. Yeah. Well, how many people do this each year? This, uh, this year, there are going to be 40 riders, and there's already about half of the, the roster is filled. So wow. anybody wanting to do this should probably get on the Adventurous site and, and sign up now. It's and not are a you... cheap ende- endeavor. Just the entry fee is nine and a half grand. And you Whoa. have your horse deposit, your insurance, your flight. You have to raise at least $1,200 for charity. At least. That's your bare minimum. So it's a, it's a financial endeavor for so sure. So you're talking, what, 12, 15 grand to do this? Uh, yeah, about 14 and a half grand minimum. Wow. And, that's, uh, and then you have to add in all of your equipment and things. You need to get... Uh, a, a, a nice GPS or a decent rain jacket. You can't just bring your your rain jacket that you normally use because it'll scare the the bejeezies out of these horses. So you have to get, yeah, of course, it's got to be like a two hundred fifty dollar rain jacket. <laughs> and I got a uh, question. These robbers did not know much about horse people because they don't know how broke we are. I mean, you're going to rob a horse person, you're not getting much. <laughs> no, they. Well, they're after I had a solar panel 
on my backpack, mm. and they were after that. Ah. So, and and most of us have a GPS watch, yeah. and we have our GPS units. We actually have some things that are worth quite a bit of money. There. So, yeah. they're after the, the fun stuff. Huh. Well, at least they're after those items and not something worse. Yeah. Exactly. And I wish I had realized that I would have just given them the things. You know, at the time, I was thinking the worst. You know, rape and right. murder out on the step, right. you know. Right. And yeah, it, later I found out because they had hit eight, eight other riders before me. Oh, wow. And they were just taking GPSs and things. So, and oh, my gosh. Uh, of course, but the Mongolians, when they found out what had happened, they were extremely ashamed and went and found these guys and they had to return everything. Oh, they <laughs> did find them? Oh, good. Yeah, they did. Oh, yeah, everybody knows everybody on the step. So. So are they you may packing live a hundred miles apart, but everybody knows everybody. Are you packing a little pepper spray next time? Is that going to be stuffed in there? <laughs> if if I can if I can squeeze it into the weight, as far as my husband knows, absolutely yes. Yes. But as far as your husband's <laughs> concerned, he wants a twelve gauge strapped to your back. Yes. But, <laughs> Oh yeah, he's like, please, do they allow guns? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you are a horse husband. Hey? Yes, I am. You know this. <laughs> yes, I am. All right. Well, this has been great. Uh, you know, everybody we talk, I love talking to people who've done the Mongol Derby because everybody has the same story yet a different story. And you know Absolutely. what I'm talking we about, all right? We the same race. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's always the same, same story. Race, different different. Story. We're, well, we'll have the winner on. Uh, this year's winner was from South Africa. And uh, she's coming on the show, I think it's next Friday. So uh, she'll be joining us next Friday. She actually stayed over there for a little while in China and, and didn't come home till a couple days ago, I think. So um, Yeah, Miss Ed. And yep. she just had a birthday also. Did she, she is the third South African to win this race. Oh, wow. South Africa by far dominates this race. Only one American has ever won. And I'm hoping next year I can be the second American to take this race. Well, good uh, luck. Well, couple, was it last year or the year before the British girl won? Uh, who was so lovely. I can't remember her name, but she, we had her on the show a couple times. And she was she was a delight, but I can't remember. Yeah, Laura, 2013. Yes. Laura yes. won. La and last year, Sam Jones from Australia That's won. Right. That was my year. Yep. Yeah. That's correct. Well, it's oh, so cool. good. Next year, we'll be talking to you as the winner. Let's hope so. I, I hope so. <laughs> good <laughs> we'll luck. Good luck. <laughs> Shotgun strapped Thank to you. her back, crossing the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Photoshop that for your husband and send him pictures along the way. Okay, we'll we'll. Oh, if you would, please do. All right, we'll do Actually, that. That would help a lot. I'm glad he doesn't know how All to right, listen to. A, I'm glad he doesn't know how to listen to horses in the morning because that would be bad. Don't let him. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Heather. Oh, thank yeah, thank you, secret. Heather. Thank you. All right, thank you so All much. Right, Appreciate it. Well, does it make you want to sign up there, Karen? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> You know, that's just the thing she mentioned most of the, the, you know, there weren't very many people older than her. Well, there's a reason for that because. <laughs> you thought Bo was bad. Imagine riding 40 that are worse than him. Every day. Yes. Yeah. Day after day. The, the, the thing with endurance horses is once you get past that part where they're being, you know, ornery and obnoxious, 
they tend to, you know, level out and get a little bit, you know, easier. But you're on the same horse the whole time. Yeah, right. <laughs> here, here, just when they start to level out, you trade them in for a new crazy one. And start all over <laughs> yeah, again. Exactly. I know. Yes. Every 25 miles or so, it's it's kind of almost like doing the Pony, you know, an actual <laughs> Pony Express run. Jennifer said that she thinks that that bit looks like a, the an old Roman design that we've seen actually, you know, in pictures from the Roman times. Um, and I kind of think so, too. I've kind of seen that where it curves out and then it comes, the metal part actually comes up for an inch or two on the sides. And that goes back a long way, which could be right. I mean, that would be where, where they're descended from that type of uh, riding style and that type of equipment. So that could be right. It does not look like there's any control at all. <laughs> no, it's just by looking at that picture. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, the other thing they don't have is renegade hoof boots. Uh, that's the other thing they're missing. And tell them why, that, why that's so important. Exactly. Well, I think that they have probably better footing than most of the rides that we have yeah, here in the right. United States. True. But the boots, uh, I've been using them all year. They've worked just fabulous for me on both of my horses all year long and actually for several years now, including Tevis and some of the rockier rides. Uh, I really like the strap-on Renegade hoof boots, and you can find out more about Renegades by going to renegadehoofboots.com. They come in several different colors, so you can match your tack. They have strap-on boots. They've got a couple of different um, versions of them, depending on how your um, horse's hooves are shaped. Some um, uh, might work better for your horse over the other um model and there's also uh, glue-on boots that are available for those that want to do a ride you, you know where they're riding maybe multiple days or for a, a, a long day like Tavis is and they're just they provide excellent hoof protection for your horse you know, and two, one of the other things I wanted to say about Renegade, and it's renegadehoofboots.com, is if you have a question of, and you've never used hoofboots before, or you, you have and you just have a question about them, give them a call. They're very helpful. They're very mm -hmm. knowledgeable there. That's what they do. They do hoofboots. So um, they can answer any question that you have and, and just give them a call. Yes, and they're made in the United States. Another good point. Mm -hmm. All right, next we're heading to Lisa. Lisa, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning, guys. Good morning. How are you both? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Uh, looking forward to another 95-degree uh, day here in uh, Southern California. Oh, it's warming <laughs> up again. Wow. It is. Well, welcome <laughs> to Florida. <laughs> where it's out to temperature every day. <laughs> so, hey, wow. Lisa Schneider is from the AERC and stops by once a month to talk to us about uh, what's going on at, at the AERC. So uh, take it away, Karen. Well, Lisa, tell us about the recent board meeting. Well, August 15th, and it took place in Denver, and all of the board members flew in from, you know, all the, the nine mm -hmm. different regions and yeah, all over the country basically. And we were basically locked in a hotel room for about oh, 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> one, way to, excuse me, one way to ensure that you get a lot of work done 
Um, no food, and... no water till you're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, they fed us very well. Oh, okay. that, that was not a problem. Um, oh, but, uh, you know, these, these face-to-face discussions are really important. Um, normally, we meet monthly on a conference call. And if you can imagine 26 people on a conference call, it's really hard. It's really mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. So you eliminate those kinds of challenges. You get face-to-face and you can really work through some of the uh, the details of a lot of motions that have been coming before the board. So we had 10 motions that we went over, and I'll just give you the highlights of them. Some some of them have to do with trails, uh, which, as you guys know, near to, near and dear to my heart. Um, and some of them have to do with the International Committee and uh, also the research committee. So I'll just hit the highlights here. Um, The first one actually had to do with our marketing director, Candace Fitzgerald. We hired her back in March, and she's a marketing contractor who's been tasked with helping us improve our membership. And I'm happy to say that uh, our membership is up 6%. And more people are riding. Our ride, rider fees are up 16%. Woohoo! Uh, no Candace. And yes. And so we renewed Candace's contract Yay, we, I uh, like for her. another six months. We work with her, you, <laughs> you know, because she's our contact. With her? Yeah, she's our contact, and uh, I like her a lot. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. She really knows her stuff, and she has uh, tremendous contacts. Uh, nationally and internationally with various equine groups. So she's getting our message out there to non-endurance folks who may not have even known our sport exists. And that's really important because we are kind of a small uh, little niche compared to the dressage world or the hunter-jumper world or the three-day eventing world. And um, a lot of people just don't even know that we're around and and have so much fun out on the trails. So anyway, she's doing a great job, and we love her. Um, Another thing that we looked at was uh, some international items. One was the AERC International Committee uh, put forth a motion to increase their dues $5. So instead of $10, it's $15 a year. And those monies go towards supporting the international rides. Um, and the next related motion was how to uh, help young riders get started in FEI. So this would provide them a stipend of about 50 bucks for their first FEI ride. So that these are all approved, by the way, the ones that I'm talking about. Okay. Um, and... Also, there was one uh, to uh, pay for team equipment for the Juniors and Young Rider Championship. Um, These Juniors and Young Riders are age 16 to 21, and they are incredibly competitive. And they do 50 to 75 miles, and they are going just as fast (laughs) as uh, some of the senior riders, and they know their stuff. They are mm-hmm. amazing athletes. And, you know, when you think about these kids who are still in high school or college, you know, that's a really big deal. And we want to keep them involved in the sport. So that support was approved. 
one other thing that we talked about was in regards to the trails. Uh, we talked last time I was here about uh, the Cash Creek Trails Grant, mm-hmm. uh, which was a wonderful grant that helped the location of a very large and well-run endurance ride in North California. Well, this is a little bit broader, more on the national level, with opposing the transfer or sale of federal lands. Um, the the federal government is has started a program where they're going to sell off or transfer lands that have been public, which of course involve equestrians and impact equestrians. And if they sell them to the states or to private landholders, owners, uh, either domestic or foreign, that would greatly impact how much equestrians have to ride on the trails. Mm-hmm. So we have joined with backcountry horsemen to oppose the, that, those sales. Um, and there's also firefighting implications. You know, the local counties and states don't have that $6 billion budget that it takes to fight the wildfires. Um, you guys probably are aware of the, the one that's still raging after a month up in Northern California. And I know one was near you, right, Karen? Yes, we still are having smoke, actually, yesterday and today. It's all hazy out from from the fire smoke. Yeah, so that's, that's a really big deal. And we are always on the lookout via our Trails and Land Management Committee for things that could impact uh, equestrian trails. And this, this one's a big one. So we we're partnering with Backcountry Horsemen. They're actually we we actually have a memorandum of understanding with them and, and long-standing one um, because all of our goals are are aligned with them and preserving mm-hmm. trails. Great. Um, one other thing that we did involving uh, the youth and the young riders uh, is approving a motion that will allow a young person uh, up to 21 years of age to sit on the board. They won't have voting rights, but we want to hear their voice. We want their opinions. We want that youth presence and their understanding, their thinking. Um, mm-hmm. The kids these days are so plugged into the social media, uh, the high-tech stuff, and um, not not all of the adults are at that level. So, we want to understand what things affect them, what they're looking for for endurance riding, and what's important to them. Mm-hmm. So having that voice on the board is really important. So that's going to start um, as soon as the junior committee recommends uh, a young person to join us. Oh, good, good. Uh, we had a couple of things that were deferred back to the committee that proposed them. One was the drug testing fees. Um, California is treated separately because we have a, a whole uh, separate entity that's set up to do the drug testing. And so the rest of the country, the rest of the, the states uh, would if this was had been passed, would have an increase in the drug testing fee from $3 to $5 per ride entry. So this was deferred back to the committee because it put the responsibility for collecting those increased fees 
onto the ride managers. Mm-hmm. And the ride managers have so much to do. And, um, you know, they're fighting to keep their costs down. So it was felt that that wasn't the best way necessarily uh, to do this, to make that happen. Um, we, we have a commitment to keeping the sport clean. And you guys may have seen those blue ribbons that are being widely circulated. It says clean endurance on them. Mm-hmm. And people are, are tying them to their bridles or their saddles or some other obvious place. Um, we want to really push for the integrity of the sport, especially with what's happening in other parts of the world. And so having more drug testing is, is kind of putting our money where our mouth is. We just right. have to find the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. And a related one had to do with um, designating uh, the reserve drug testing fees for litigation. This is one of those ugly things that nobody wants to talk about, but there is, uh, there has been in the past some litigation in regards to challenging drug testing positives. So um, if we put more money aside for that, then that might be something that would protect the organization should we be sued. Um, but that was deferred back to, to the uh, veterinary committee as well to see if uh, the money would be better used for more drug testing. So that's that's one of those things where you're, you're walking a very fine line between, okay, do we do more testing, make it even more obvious that we're testing, and therefore um, really uh, motivate people to uh, keep things clean, or do we put the money towards something that would protect the organization on, on the other side of things, if, if mm-hmm. positives are found. It's, it's kind of a thorny issue. It really is. So, right. Um, and then there was one motion that did not pass, and that was the research committee's request to assess uh, a small fee. I think they were talking just a couple of dollars uh, per ride entry uh, to fund research on endurance horses. So this is one of those things where everybody agrees that research is a fantastic thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Things like identifying uh, how to uh, find horses that are at risk of colic during rides or exhausted horse syndrome or uh, cardiac arrhythmias. I mean, just the whole gamut of what happens to horses who are under stress from going distance. And like I said, the, the board was very supportive of the research, but we've got to find a better mechanism for fundraising. I was just going to say, everybody again, likes research. Nobody likes to pay for research. That's just, <laughs> uh-huh. and I don't care that's, what organization so or group you're talking to, that's true. Uh, it, and, it is, yeah. it is. And the money for research has dried up just significantly, especially in the past five years when the economy kind of tanked a bit and uh, all those extras, as as people think of them, uh, were cut off. So uh, the uh, research committee is looking for ways to fund more of this important research that would help our endurance horses compete even more safely. Very good. Um, 
Well, now I know that you can uh, find inf- more information about the AERC. What's the website again? AERC.org. AERC.org. And I'm so glad to hear that memberships are up and that uh, great. things are going that direction. That's always good because, you know, there's not a lot of associations that can say that right now in any of the disciplines. So uh, good for you guys. That's something to be proud of. Did Lisa, did we lose you? Well, thank you, Lisa. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) Thank you for coming on this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys, and have a great day. I think Lisa might have had a little bit of a delay. <laughs> with the, <laughs> so That they, happens. Yeah, we do get delays every once in a while. Well, next up, uh, why don't you introduce uh, who you had an opportunity to talk to with Jennifer the other day? Yes, on, uh, we've pre-recorded an interview Speaking with Dr. Lang- Langdon Fielding about research um, because he's on emergency call this morning. So we thought it would be safer to pre-record him so we didn't lose him in case he had to go out on a call. He's been work. Dr. Fielding has been working on a long-term research project at the Tevis Cup 100-mile endurance ride. And um, we have him on to tell us a little bit about that. Dr. Fielding has completed the Tevis two times himself. He's also worked as a ride veterinarian and has crewed the ride. He's got over 1,100 AERC miles. And when he was in college, he rode for the Harvard equestrian team. Oh, cool. Very good. Let's take a listen. Thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Fielding. How are you doing today? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing about the research that you've been doing at the Tevis. But first, I have a another question. I want to know, do you think riding Tevis is harder or vetting? <laughs> um, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I've, I've crewed, ridden, and, and vetted. And, <laughs> and actually, it's, it's in some ways, I think I... I had more trouble staying awake and was more exhausted crewing actually almost than, than, than any of them. I think riding, you're so, you know, focused on one, <laughs> on uh-huh. one thing that it, it's a little easier. Um, but I, I, I guess I feel like pro- probably vetting is, um, just more things to remember. How about that? I guess maybe than than riding. I, like I said, I feel like you can focus on one thing. Just a little okay. Easier. Okay. And I see you've completed the Tevis two times. Uh, yes. Yeah. Very different times of my life. Once it, 17 and once <laughs> about 35 so kind of different different phases think, but do you think you want to do it again you know i i do sometime um i don't know if it's <laughs> going to be in the near future but i at least i feel like i have one one more in me some sometime in the next <laughs> next little bit so cool okay well tell us a little bit about this blood work research that's been going on for the last few years at tevis yeah, it's kind of been an evolution. We, you know, started by really just kind of sampling horses that were in trouble. Um, and then we sort of started going to, you know, gr- groups of horses each year or, or people who, you know, just wanted to know a little bit more about their horse. And then the last few years, it's it's been all the horses in a group. And the reason that's been so important is that, you know, there's obviously it can be some bias when you just ask for volunteers. You tend to, I think, get people who are maybe more interested, you know, mm-hmm. in, in research and so probably, you know, maybe a little more in tune with electrolytes and hydration. And so I think we've always worried that we were getting a certain group of, of people that might be a little more focused on, you know, on their horse's health. Um, and so by getting all of the horses, it's, I think, let us have a much clearer picture of what's going on. 
And so what we, what it's really become is that about a third of the way through the ride every year, um, you know, we sample all the horses and we are really mostly looking at hydration and electrolytes and saying, you know, not only as a group of horses, you know, how are they doing, but then also individually, you know, are there certain horses that are way outside kind of the normal parameters um, or, you know, are they just kind of marginal or are they really severe? And so those are the kind of things we've been looking at. We created a statistical model the first year and tried to use it to kind of predict, you know, which horses might get into trouble later in the race. And then each year after that, we've kind of keep refining the model a little bit and, and use it to try to help us, you know, identify horses that might be in trouble. So that's kind of the, and, and how, how the model develops. And, are you, what specifically yeah, are you looking for exactly in the blood um, work? Yeah. So again, the, the the main things are sort of how hydrated they are, and that's we use things like their um, you know red cell count and proteins, um, and, and levels of those tell us like how hydrated the horse is, and then their electrolytes are things like their sodium and their potassium and their chloride um, are probably some of the you know the main ones. The bicarbonate, their their acid base balance, kind of all those together, um, you know, help help make up the model, um, and we basically pick pick things that. that sort of statistically make the most sense, but they're, they're all have a, a little bit interrelated. Um, they tend to move together. So I, I would explain to people that we're basically looking at our, our risk factors are horses that are more dehydrated and have lost more electrolytes seem to be the horses that tend to be eliminated later in the race then. Okay. Are the riders going to receive their information back that participated? Yeah. So basically each year, usually... Okay, like one to two months after Tevis, it depends a little bit on the year, but um, we kind of send them usually by email, a, you know, a sort of summary of what their horse was and then usually what the average horse was. So they have some sense of comparison. Okay. And what, what are you learning so far that you think is among the most important things? Um. I think a couple of things. One, I think the one of the more interesting things is, is year-to-year comparison. So trying to mm-hmm. look at and say, you know, like, like for example, this past year, you know, all the horses were, as a group, more dehydrated um, than in previous years. And we obviously have lots of theories about, you know, there's a lot of heat kind of coming up to Tevis when everybody was traveling. And so whether stuff like uh-huh. that might play a role. And more um, The other thing. Yeah, exactly. So just the diff- differences in year-to-year. In and then... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, also, obviously, the hope is to come up with ways to, you know, help help have, you know, better better finishing rates and, and keep everybody healthy. And so if we can identify that, yes, you know, really year after year, horses that have, you know, lost more of a specific electrolyte, it might be that, you know, increasing the amount of electrolyte for, for those horses could benefit them. Um, that's kind of phase, phase two of research. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the beginning is just to identify what the problems are and then you know, phase two is to say, like, is there some way that we can change change things to help them? Right. And it appeared this year that you gave more red cards out to the horses. Is that true? Yeah, the, the numbers. And again, I don't know that they're, we sort of have officially re- released the, the numbers, but um, there was a higher, a higher number this year. And again, like I said, it's because the model is based on things like hydration and electrolytes. Um, we you know, if you have a year where there's there's more horses are dehydrated, it's going to tend to, you know, to to sort of, you know, flag or raise concerns about about more horses, and that again is part of the evolution of the model is that you, 
you know, sort of see from year to year, you know, what, you know, what things change based on the weather and stuff like that. Right. And how long do you think till you're able to kind of figure out how many of those that got the red cards went on to finish or not? Or do you, do you know um, already? Yeah. I mean, we, we already have some preliminary numbers that I think just, I, I guess I probably would want to, um, you know, d- double check before I gave any kind of official statement, sure. but, um, uh-huh. But yeah, each each year it's it's a diff, it's a little bit different. It's one of the things that's so interesting is, of course, the first two years we didn't give anybody you know any kind of sort of red card, green card, so to speak, of of how the horses were doing, and so that's the the model was created in that way. And then the last two years, of course, we've told people, and so one of the things we noticed, um, I haven't looked at this yet for this year, but like last year, for example, is that the people we told you know, that we were concerned about their horse as a group tended to slow down after that. And okay. so it's sometimes you have to be careful to how you interpret their finishing rate because you're, you're influencing what they're doing. Right. Um, so if you tell people to, they were worried about your horse and then they slow down and finish. I got a red card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, my own horse, my own horse was in Tevis this year. A friend of mine was riding and he got a red card too. And um, actually, ironically, did, did slow down, but did finish. So that was good. Uh-huh. Um, yes, I ended up doing all the canyons on foot. Thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Um, so, but it's been, um, it's, yeah, it's, it is hard. What's the sort, you know, to sort out exactly how much of it is, how much we're influencing by obviously telling people that, mm-hmm. you know, their horses is lower, you know, in hydration and electrolytes. Right. Now, what do you think is a good, you know, strategy for electrolyting on a ride like Tavis or a hundred? Yeah, I, I have two comments about that. I get to ask that question, obviously, you can uh-huh. imagine, probably uh-huh. almost daily. So I, I sort of always love to hear what people do. I think one thing that, that hopefully will come out of some of this research is that I, I think it's likely that, you know, specific horses are are different and unique. And I think that's one of the things, you know, as we get more years of data to be able to go back and look at, you know, are there certain horses that, you know, always tend to run lower or have problems with electrolytes and other ones that maybe don't. And that's Mm -hmm. been actually a couple of the great, great vets in the sport. I, you know, Michelle Rauch and a couple of them have, have made the same comment to me at the beginning of this research is to say, you know, I, that there definitely seems like there are certain horses that, um, you know, are always (laughs) having more trouble and that it's probably Uh a little bit horse specific. So I think knowing your horse is a big factor. And then I, I tend to be a big fan of the moderation approach. You know, I think obviously giving sort of a, you know, a full tube every, you know, five miles is going to be probably towards one extreme and, and not doing any electrolytes might be towards the other, but, you know, especially if you don't know your horse that well, something uh, I know a lot of people do a half a tube per vet check or three quarters of a tube per vet check. That that Mm -hmm. seems like probably a a moderate approach. Yes. I heard from a couple of friends in Tevis this year that they were actually kind of afraid to electrolyte thinking it would throw off their blood work. Do you have any comments about that? Um, Yeah, I wouldn't, I guess I would feel comfortable saying that since it's, since the parameters are really look at more horses that are, you know what I mean, have, have lost too much electrolytes or lost too much water, I think that would be unlikely to to throw it off um, because it's it's really based more on looking at horses that are, you know, lo- losing too much um, as opposed to, to really gaining too much. Okay. And have you ever thought about doing the blood work again later or at the finish? 
Um, yeah, we we have in you know, one of the earlier studies looked at it, you know, further in the ride. Um, I don't know, as I'm sure you can can imagine, there's not everybody is as enthusiastic about the blood draw mm-hmm. um, at, at Robinson, so I, I don't know how well it would go over to to propose that we would do it again at Force. <laughs> um, it uh-huh. might might be tough, but I, I, the finish would be would be very interesting. Um, you know, and but that that study has been done in some forms. I guess we've met, we've never had like every horse participate in that, but mm-hmm. we have had you know beginning and end and enduring kind of blood panels, and they, a lot of horses do tend to recover to to more normal levels. You know, by the end, which which makes sense, right? If they're gonna get to the end of tennis, they're probably gonna have to equilibrate. You know, somewhere right, along the way. And, right. And yeah, they have a normal. low point and and then come come back and and. And re- they do recover better. I feel that that's what happened with mine. Um, yep. And th- and then because exactly. of the humidity this year, it was it was really tough. And, and I think that's why we had that big rush of horses that came in all at once at Robinsons. Yes. No. Especially at the end, there it was a big glut of of horses. Uh huh. Well, when will this get published um, for everybody to see? To see, yeah. You know, it's um. The the part of it that we sort of you're talking about the specific results for this year or just as a whole as a whole, whole. uh huh so as a whole yeah it um I think fairly soon um we part of the dilemma is always how many years to kind of include and I, I think it'll mostly be based on um one particular year just just to do with how research okay. journals like things presented so um but I think it's it's actually to be honest with you most of it's really compiled and done it's, it's kind of getting the the everybody all the authors to sort of agree on everything so it's i would say that part of it is you know wrapping up pretty well oh good well let's go back to your tevis rides that you did what was different from doing it when you were a teenager versus in your 30s <laughs> um, that's that's a good question um i think just that it, it definitely hurt a lot more i i honestly my memories of doing it at 17 was just that it was a blast and i don't even remember any any pain or anything it just was this fun fun experience and i definitely one of my 30s i definitely remember getting to to robinson and thinking surely i have to be <laughs> further than a third of the way through this, this cannot possibly be <laughs> only a third of it so um that's i think probably the biggest the biggest difference um do you plan on doing any more rides yeah i hope so i have a young horse that um I was supposed to be doing some some thirties and fifties on this year though didn't, didn't get get things organized probably quite as in time um but so i I think so i I love the sport i've been I started riding endurance horses and conditioning them when I was like twelve years old and have been involved in some some way for most of that time so i I really truly love love the sport, so I hope to continue to be part of it at least a, a little bit from the riding standpoint. Okay, and can you tell us what all of these um, long initials next to your name mean? D A C V E C C. Sure. Yeah, I have a very u- unique background, which is well suited to endurance, though probably not not to a lot of other things. Um, I, the, the first one I boarded in emergency medicine, um, so basically horse emergency medicine, which is really, I guess, was kind of my my passion in vet school and and. Um, what you know, what I did my residency in, and then um, I did a second second board in sports medicine, um, which is you know kind of a, I didn't probably didn't, didn't start out necessarily with that focus, but I uh-huh. you know kind of have a again sort of a 
a, a unique approach or, or perspective, I guess, on some sort of sports emergency medicine, especially when it comes to endurance. I really, you know, like doing the, doing the treatment meditavis and, and do it, you know, at some of the other FBI and local rides and stuff around. And so I really like that kind of part, part of things. Um, what, what they are, again, it's sports medicine and emergency medicine, sort of the two, wow, two okay. parts. Well, thank you very much for doing all of this research, and thank you for joining us on the show today. All right. Thank you. Wow. Smart guy. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That definitely comes across as a reason he has all those letters behind his name. (laughs) (laughs) Quite quite a few. It's like a whole alphabet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and obviously knows endurance and, uh, you know, knows uh, you're, you're lucky to have a doctor that also knows knows the sport really well right so, yeah right that's, and so the guy doing the research is the right guy doing the research definitely definitely yeah. and it's important stuff to do yes yeah. and yeah, you know that's what lisa was talking about earlier you know there's not enough of that going on because of the, of the funding so it's good to know there is some of it going on um yeah so good right. job yeah terrific right. well what a fast show it's over already <laughs> that fast. <laughs> I know. It was great. It was so much fun. Uh, it's always fun to talk to the Tevis competitors because let's face it, you have to be outgoing, uh, kind of crazy to do it in the first place. So they always make great guests. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or even to go on the Mongol Derby. I mean, that yeah, takes a lot I of guts. Sorry, that's what I meant. I meant the Mongol <laughs> yes. Derby. That's what I meant. Well, yeah. That or Tevis. Or I mean, Tevis, they, either one. They, they both take a lot of guts and money and yeah. uh, <laughs> preparation. And, uh, you know, it's a serious kind of thing to be dedicated enough to want to ride a horse that far or, or well, in the case of the Mongol Derby. I mean, that's, that's taken a big risk to go travel all the way around the world to ride these you know little ponies that like you said look like they're bolting in every picture <laughs> well you know it I, and i do think about her husband and how scary that must be for him and the kids you know just something you know i always think about too uh, uh-huh. i had to watch my wife do cross country and plenty of events that scared the crap out of me so uh you know it's and uh, you know it's funny i'm on a horse husband's group and we're starting a horse husband's episode here at the end of the month oh cool and, uh, <laughs> that's hosted by uh tim who is the horse husband of elisa wallace who is the eventer and mustang trainer and you know a couple of we have our own private group on facebook and you know these guys will come on there because it's a private group and say hey look i that scares the crap out of me watch my uh-huh. wife do that and <laughs> It does, you know. It's it is scary for the spouses as well. Mm-hmm. So I feel for him with her saying, "I got to go do it again." Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. We really appreciate it. You can find Karen at KarenChatton.com. KarenChatton.com, and don't forget if you want to do the ride, give the details on the ride that you have to make a decision on today. It's called The Writing Dead, October 31st, which is Halloween. And for anyone that's a fan of The Walking Dead, that's why we kind of named it that, The Writing Dead, because it's a 75 and 100 and one day. And it's in the Pacific South region, about 60 miles outside of Las Vegas or 35 miles east of Baker, California. All right. Very good. And she needs to make a decision today. So if you plan on coming, let her know. Uh, Get a hold of her through the website, or you can contact her through karen at horseradionetwork.com. 
I wanted to mention also that coming up this Friday, we have Really Bad Ads, and we have a special prize for Really Bad Ads this week. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a guest on who was absolutely wonderful. Her name was Robin Hutton. She wrote the book Sergeant Reckless, America's War Horse, about uh, Sergeant Reckless, who uh, was a Marine during the Korean War. And it made us all cry, and it was a great book. We read it. Uh, but she is going to be giving away a signed uh book, a personalized book, to the winner of Really Bad Ads on Friday. So if you want your own copy signed by the author, Robin Hutton, of Sergeant Reckless, then get your ads in. Get on Craigslist today. Send them to Jennifer at Network.com. <laughs> I mean, it's, how hard is it to find a bad ad on Craigslist, right? I know, huh? Two minutes. Uh, just go to the Farm and Home section. You'll find plenty of bad ads. Send them to Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Put really bad ads in the subject line and copy and paste the entire ad into the email. Jamie will be back tomorrow. We're going to have a lot of fun planned for you tomorrow, so be sure to join us then. She has a lot of stories to tell of her adventures over the weekend. I do, too. We took Scooter out for his first drive away from home. Uh, cool. And I'll talk more about that tomorrow. We'll let you know how that went. We went out to the Florida Horse Park, and it was just her first view at wide open spaces with a cart attached. So I'll <laughs> tell you if, uh, and he has a little bit of a bolting problem. We call them BBs, baby bolts. Uh, I'll let you know if he had any BBs while out at the Florida <laughs> Horse Park uh, tomorrow. That's it for today. Thank you so much, Karen. We'll talk to you again next month. Thank you. Be safe, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>